A reading from John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Back in early June, I flew to Florida to officiate a memorial service on my mother's side of the family, and it was quite an experience. I hadn't seen my cousins, Ronnie and David, for decades, so there was at least some part of me that was excited about this family reunion. I grew up hunting alligators and killing snakes with Ronnie and David. And these days, Ronnie drives heavy machinery for the state of Florida. And David is best known as a fence builder. So I landed and I drove directly to Ronnie's house to talk about his mom. And if I'm honest, it was a little creepy because it was sort of right out of a scene from the movie Deliverance. (laughs) We got to his trailer. I was conscious that this really isn't an America that I experience on a day-to-day basis. So I asked him about their mom, and it was a little bit like extracting teeth. They told me she was a bad cook. (laughs) They told me that she liked watching TV. They told me she could be quite nasty. 
And I was sitting there thinking, wow, this is, this is going to be tough. <laughs> and when I was getting ready to leave, Ronnie, Ronnie's wife declared, well, when this is over, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go to Jamaica for a couple of weeks. And Ronnie didn't miss a beat. He said, well, honey, you're going to go by yourself. Because I'm not going anywhere where there's that many niggers. So I'm floored. I'm dumbfounded. What do you what do you what do you even say to that? So I kind of fumbled the ball. All I really said is, really, Ronnie? Really? Why do I share that story with you? Why is it important? Because Ronnie would tell you that he's born again. Ronnie would tell you that a long time ago, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But Jesus is going to take him to heaven when his time here is finished. So he declares himself to be a believer. He, he, he wears this, I'm born again, as a kind of badge of honor. And I, I don't know, I don't have any place can't judge his baseline religious convictions. But I do stand here and I believe in my bones that Ronnie doesn't accurately understand the story that was told to us this morning. I stand here believing that that brand of Christianity has done serious damage to our beloved faith. I also believe that that brand of Christianity has turned many of us knowingly and unknowingly into cynics and agnostics, overly suspect, overly cautious, overly reticent, which if we aren't careful would have us miss what I think is really powerful in this story. If you've gone to church, this story is familiar. It takes place at night, takes place in the dark. It's really as if Nicodemus doesn't want anyone to know that he is somehow drawn to this charismatic religious figure that we know as Jesus. Actually, I can, I can relate to that feeling. Through the years in countless situations when I'm asked about my own work or my own vocation, 
I tell people that I run a nonprofit that builds schools in Africa. So somehow sounds better to me, more interesting to me. It removes whatever embarrassment that I feel about Christianity. If I say I build schools in Africa, I'm somehow a cooler version of myself. And I don't reveal that I am a card-carrying, deeply convicted Christian. It's really kind of sad. Sad to me. Anyway, back to the story about Nicodemus. He's, he makes this kind of big, bold declaration. What does he say? He says, we know, Jesus, that, that you are a teacher from God. Why do we know? Well, we know because you're doing things in the world that no one else could possibly do or couldn't do without the the presence, power of God. Nicodemus is, is impressed. Nicodemus can't deny that somehow this person is different. That Jesus is actually changing the course of people's lives. He's changing people's minds and hearts and bodies. That this Jesus that we talk about is forcing people to rethink what really matters, what is truly important, what is at stake in the process of making faith something very central to your life. And what does Jesus do? He, he, he pulls a Jesus move. Completely alters the direction of the conversation. I love when Jesus does that. You think you're talking about one thing and then you're talking about something else. And he says, it's not about impressing people. I didn't come here to impress anybody. The point is not actually the miracles. He says, I tell you this. I, I tell you this, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You, you can't see it. You can't imagine it. You can't step into it unless something fundamental actually shifts inside of you. I actually love what the Greek says here. The Greek word is best translated, not as born again, 
but born from above. Something that transcends, right, our capacity to think our way into or through things. So Jesus says very bluntly here, you and I aren't very good at seeing a bigger picture. We on our own, left to our own devices, do not have the internal resources to make God first, to make God's will paramount, to make God's purposes the individual and collective source of our redemption. When I stopped and I thought about this this week, I thought, that's really a radical statement. Because it isn't like you're going to pull a little more God into your life and you're going to feel a little bit better. Which is the kind of God that I would prefer to have. That I just kind of show up and I'm going to get a little more God and, and oh yeah, I'm going to feel a little bit better. But whether we take this text seriously or not, that's not what it's saying. It's talking about a, a complete reorientation. It's, a, it's about a really different mindset. A different set of eyeglasses, a, a, a rewiring of ourselves. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know what? I think I get what he's saying. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little slow at times. I don't always get what he's saying. But my wiring is often off. I'm, I'm so apt to be pulled into my habitual ways of like thinking and showing up and reacting. And then I build some kind of truth narrative to reinforce my thinking. Here's one example, may or may not be a good one. I've always assumed that life was about experiencing more. In my case, given me being the younger son in the prodigal story, I'm like more adrenaline, more dopamine, more sensual satisfaction, more pleasure. I don't know if any of that's bad. I'm going to assume that it isn't bad. But my wiring is, is faulty. I said that already because I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll always at any party go to the appetizer table and I'll sit there and I'll eat 30 pieces of cheese. And I don't really want to go anywhere else other than the appetizer table. I don't really want to talk to anybody. I'm going to have 30 pieces of cheese. I'm going to have 15 pigs in a blanket. When I was drinking, I would think, oh my God, one's good, three is better. Desserts, forget the desserts. Five cookies are always better than one cookie. And what would I tell myself? You know what I would tell myself? Don't put limits on consumption. 
Don't do it. Life's got to be lived fully. Don't miss out. But I've missed something. I've actually missed something. I've, I've actually missed a bigger truth. You know, like, what is God's will really for my life? What does a healthy life look like? How would self-restraint make me, Carter, more mindful, more present, more attuned, more healthy, more openness to the fullness that God has in store for me? So I don't know. This really got me this week. Like, I need to be born again every day. Jesus tells us to cast our eyes on the kingdom of God. Now, that may just sound like religious gobbledygook. But it's a whole invisible land where God's will is made manifest, where acceptance runs deep, where gratitude for what is is felt where risk-taking isn't selfish, but in service to flourishing and healing and transformation. Isn't that where we want to live? That's where I want to live. in an invisible land where God's will is more manifest. My gratitude is more present to me and my risks make sense because they are in service to something that is so much bigger than me. I landed on a blog this week that touched me and actually felt like a picture of life in the kingdom. It's written by a woman named Jen Bricker. Anybody ever heard of Jen? Nods, no nods. Are you with me? <laughs> well, I'm going to read it to you here. A section of this. She says, this just happened. I flew, this is Jen talking, I flew into the Paralympic World Championships in Qatar, suspended from a giant hot air balloon. Not the kind with a pretty wicker basket underneath. I was actually attached to the balloon with a piece of fabric. I took one look at the setup and I gasped. This is amazing, she says. I've never performed on a hot air balloon. 
Then she says, when the organizers asked me to come to Qatar and outline their ideas for my performance, I had no idea how magical and epic it would be. So like anything else that scares me, I knew I had to go for it. Then she says it was one of my all-time favorite pinch-me moments. The perfect combination of cool and crazy artistry and insanity. Who does this? And the entire time I was floating from the hot air balloon, reveling in the cheers below, one thought came to me, God is good. Then she writes this, I have no doubt in my mind that I'm blessed. Do you know that you're blessed? Though at first glance, you'd think otherwise. It's hard to miss. I don't have legs. But for the longest time, it never dawned on me that I was different from anyone else. If there was something that I wanted to do, I I did it. If I wanted to be a tumbler or an aerial artist, missing a couple of limbs was not going to hold me back. My approach was simple. No hesitation, no fear, no worrying about what if. If an obstacle presented itself, I got creative and figured out how to get around it. She says, I don't think people are taught that, which is probably why I, with no legs, get asked all the time how we should live our lives. This is my favorite part. She says, People often ask me, if you could have been born with legs, would you have wanted that? And she says, not a chance. God gave me this gift for a reason. And yes, I said gift. I don't see myself as disabled or handicapped or lacking in any way, shape or form. I am grateful for my body every single day. I would never have been presented with such special opportunities to affect people if I had been born with legs. And that's precisely how God works. Then she ends with this. Everyone, that's everyone, that's everyone here has the power to change someone's life. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a stage. Everybody has the ability to impact the world in a positive way. This isn't about turning lemons into lemonade. This is not about seeing the glass half full. It's taking action. It's putting God first. Pushing yourself to be and to do what God created.
I love that. Very glad I have my legs. But I love that. And in some very real way, her words stop me in my tracks. She's not talking about drawing attention to ourselves, but a life that points to God. A life of gratitude, a redeemed life, no self-pity, no victimization, no prolonged focus on one's limitations or setbacks. It's a life that shouts out, look what God's doing in my life. Look what God is doing in my life. Look. So, I don't know. I don't really think Ronnie got it. But then I haven't really gotten it either. Being born again or born from above is not a one-off. It's something we do every morning. Every morning, acknowledging our need, our fundamental basic need to put God first. know deeply that God is the missing piece in living differently. And if I don't do that again, I slide back into the morass of my own skewed, narrow, emotionally charged way of being in the world. So I love that this text came up this week. It's a big wake-up call for me to listen more intently. I talked about this in contemplative prayer this week. To listen not so much at the voices in my head, but to listen for God's voice. To listen for God's leading to be more bold and saying, look at what God's doing in my life, not to impress you. Nicodemus, this is it, this is the end. Nicodemus was forever changed. You may not remember that about the story, but when Jesus died, two people went to claim his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They went out of love and they went out of respect. And perhaps they went because they knew 
that the story of God's unfolding kingdom, which is the only thing that really matters, was just beginning. Just beginning. So I say to Ronnie and to Carter and to all of us, get born from above today and start again to live your best life. May it be so. Amen.